Welcome to episode four of The Life of Brian. And uh, larger than life that he is, and in lockdown, as opposed to uh, what most people would have thought he would have finished up, and that is in lock-up, is the one and only Brian Mannix. Oh, Kev, how are you? And I'm well. Um, I've uh, walked further than Rob D. Costello. I've had more alcohol on my hands than on my mouth, and that's a great <laughs> achievement. And I've decided that Dan Andrews should replace his crappy blue jacket with one a bit like Happy Hammond had. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, it's interesting times, isn't it? I mean, I think we've all run out of stuff that we, we were sort of hanging out to watch. We've watched all that, so you're going through the second string of, of that sort of stuff. And, and yeah, you're right. There's only so many times you can walk around the block. Well, that's right, indeed. Um, yeah, I'm going a bit stir-crazy. It's uh, been too long. I haven't worn a pair of pants for months. I actually did wear... I, I did have one. I got out once to do a talk uh, to some uh, some people and actually had to wear pants, and I was I was absolutely wrapped the fact that they still fitted. <laughs> well, yeah, yes. that's, the, that's the option, isn't it? Because yeah. if you don't do the walking in your tracksuit pants, but your tracksuit pants, you can sort of put on a bit of weight and you don't really feel it. So that's the, 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 the worry, because if you're wearing tight jeans and stuff, you have a couple of pies and stuff, you're going to feel it and go, right, OK, a bit of ease off on the pies. Yeah. But in the tracksuit pants, you could have 26 pies and probably wouldn't even notice. Yeah, well, I've developed a, a, an unusually uh, obsessive uh, relationship with ice cream of recent times. Oh, yeah, I know what you mean. Late at night. I'd oh, go, yes. I go really good all day. Yep. You know, so like discipline my meals and stuff. And then about 9.30, you go, God, I feel like a lolly or an ice cream or something. Yep. And you, you end up undoing all of the good you've done with your diet all day because at 9.30, you're watching something on TV and you end up having a cornet or something like that. Yep, that's exactly what's been going on. <laughs> salted. So the man who invented salted caramel ice cream, you bastard, I'm going to yeah. get you. Anyway. Yeah, my hair's darker than it's been for a long time as well. It's, oh, um, yeah, of course. I haven't been, haven't been able to go to the hairdresser, so it's almost brown at the moment, which is... Well, well, I, but how's your facial hair situation? Uh, I had a shave today because it was, I was starting to look like Robinson Crusoe, so I thought, nah, enough's enough, starting to get itchy, so I gave it a miss. All right, well, I've, I've got, for the first time ever in my life, uh, I've got a beard. Fantastic. And, and like a proper, mind you, it's as white as, uh, as Mount Kosciuszko in the middle of s- uh, snow season. Not to call you Santa. Yeah, I'm feeling a bit like that, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so, uh, yeah. Anyway, all right. Now, we want to thank our terrific uh, partners uh, in this podcast, The Life of Brian. It's Murcotts, of course, uh, Murcotts Driving Excellence. Uh, they will make you a smarter, a safer driver. Uh, they're a nationwide organisation, obviously, so even though there is lockdown uh, uh, protocols going on in Victoria, uh, you you can just pick the phone up and talk to them. It's 1300 555 576. 1300 576. Or jump on the website, mercots.edu.au. All the details are there. Uh, they are ticking all the boxes for all the uh, health and safety protocols in Victoria, but around the rest of Australia, of course, uh, there is uh, the, the normal programs are available. So uh, jump on and make a booking. 1300 555 576. Hey, Brian, we're going to play. Um, you've, you've got a new single. How long oh. since someone said that? to you. I know, it's been a very long time, but, um, well, you know, yeah, it's it's a cover. It's we, We've spoken about uh, yep. the Hit Me album, 
And um, yeah, they've got decided that Rebel Yell is the is the single. So that's available on Spotify and uh, all of those platforms, Amazon and iTunes and all that sort of thing. Yep. Uh, the album's not because you had to pre-sale that. But uh, the single is out there on Spotify and Amazon and all of those musical platforms. If you Very would good. care to hear it. Hey, what was it? What was the first single you put out with the X Men? Um, well, we didn't actually. We put out a, a live mini album, which was oh, that's right. Yeah, so there was no real single from it. Um, but then we did uh, "How to Get Your Kicks," which was written by Greg McCainish from Skyhooks and yep. David Briggs from the LIB band. Yeah, and uh, that did quite well for us. Yeah, it did. Did is there, yeah. there's a certain kind of thrill when you hear? And back in those days, and I don't, it doesn't probably happen as much these days. But uh, when you hear that single for the very first time on the radio, there's like a wow. Yeah, it's yeah. so exciting. It's yeah. like, wow. Actually, I remember we were coming back from the Rock Awards or somewhere in um, Sydney and I was sort of seeing this girl and we're driving back to the Bondi and 50 Years came on the radio and we were all sitting there listening to it and loving it, even though it had been out for about four months and, you know, yeah. we'd heard it many times. And she says, can you turn it down a bit? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that was the end of her. That was it. Nah, there's no future with you and me, baby. <laughs> so she sort of brought herself undone by saying that. Oh, well. There you Sorry, go. Melissa. Uh, so uh, we're going to play that a little later on. We've got a special uh, special little presentation of, uh, of Rebel Yell coming up from the Hit Me uh, CD. Also, more from your book, uh, which is your audio book, which is coming very soon. Hell, I yes. didn't even like El Green. Hell, I didn't even like Al Green. Brian Mannix, Trippin' USA. That's the one. And, yeah, and now, now, just so people know, and before we mm. talk about our guest for this week, there is going to be a book book as well as an audio book, isn't there? There is a book book. I've got the book book, but the um, I'm waiting for Audible <laughs> to get the uh, the audio book. Jeez, the, the echo book, in here's bad. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> now the book book's ready to go, but I sort of want to, don't want to sell that until people can get the audio book because I think the audio book's better than the book book. Oh well, as yeah. we've been sampling in this in this podcast over the first couple of episodes, um, yeah, it's it's very entertaining, and uh, we've got another little bit of the book coming up uh, a little later on. Maybe uh, maybe something uh, special. We'll talk about that later. But let's talk about our guest uh, for this week. When we sat around and talked wow. about what we wanted to, uh, who we wanted to have on this program, and who mm. who you wanted to have a chat to, this bloke's name came up really early in the piece. Yeah, um, I didn't think you'd get him. Actually, you did very well. Um, I've always found this bloke to be one of the most interesting blokes ever, and I think he should, if we ever become a republic, he should be the president. Um, He's uh, had so many great adventures, and he's one of those blokes, like like Sheedy was last week, I said, you know, Sheedy, I think, is a great Australian. Yeah, I agree. I think this bloke is a great Australian too. He excelled in his field, and he's done a lot of philanthropical, you know that word, Kev? Yep. Philanthropical good. Charity. <laughs> From the book book, which I was reading in the tuk-tuk. Uh, anyway. Um, so anyway, yes, today we're going to get our dick out. Yeah, well, yeah, now I knew. Why did I know that, that, you would, that somewhere along the line you would have to revert to dick humour? I'd, well, you know, people are probably saying, it's a bit like if you go to see Chuck Berry and he doesn't do the duck walk, you'd go, well, I got ripped off. Yeah. Well, you know, they're listening to this podcast and there's not some crappy little dick joke or poo joke, yep. people are going to feel ripped off. Yep. It's like seeing Molly uh, without and, his hat. And the and the silly little uh, inane giggle that, uh, that normally comes when the <laughs> word is... There you go. We've, we've, we've not let anybody down. So let's uh, let's get to our guest for this week. He is an absolute ripper, as you mentioned, an Australian icon. It is uh, the one and only Dick Smith. 
Hello, Dick. It's Kevin Hillier and Brian Mannix. How are you going? Good, thank you. Thanks for doing uh, it. We well, appreciate your time. It's a pleasure. Fire away. Well, you certainly packed a lot into your life, uh, Dick. You know, you weren't very good at school, but then uh, out of school, with $610, you built an empire. That's exactly right. I've been very fortunate. I won the lottery of life being born in Australia in the 1940s. Was there a crystal sort of thing in your mind that that you wanted to achieve, or did things just kind of roll along? No, look, I, the plan was to have a business with about three or four people working for me. I never had any idea when I started Dick Smith Electronics with that $610 that it would end up in a business doing over a billion dollars turnover with thousands of staff. Luckily, I surrounded myself with capable people. I asked advice and copied the success of others and managed to do okay. Sure did. Look, you've done some really great things, uh, like some of the stunts you did to promote the business and uh, like your, your helicopter flights and your, uh, your non-stop balloon across the Australian continent and stuff. But one of the ones that really appealed to me was the, the double-decker bus where you jumped a double-decker bus over 16 motorbikes. Yeah, that was a fun thing. In fact, I'm just writing my autobiography now and I've just covered that bit. I did that because I wanted publicity, you're absolutely right. Also, Evil Knievel, a famous stuntman at the time, was jumping a motorbike over double-decker buses. So I told the media, oh, look, I can't ride a motorbike, so I have to do it in reverse. And it got incredible publicity. I think it cost about $1,200 to buy the old bus and to put the ramp in. (laughs) And uh, it got publicity all around the world and it's still you know, you can still find it on the internet. Well, and the other one, you, you towed an iceberg into Sydney Harbour. This is a new source of water. Yeah, that was now, <laughs> that was an April Fool's joke, of course, but in, initially it started off as something that I really wanted to do. I knew there were droughts drought in Australia, and I thought if we towed an iceberg up and then melted it, we could put water for irrigation. And then I had the idea as a bit of fun to get some publicity. I said, look, I'm going to cut the iceberg up into into little ice cubes, call them Dixicles, and sell them for people's sell them for people's drink and tell people, look, these are um, so different. It'll make your, your, your drink taste a lot better. And the interesting thing was I said they're going to sell for 10 cents each and I'd make about 100 grand on each iceberg. Now, that was a bit of fun, but what happened was the media kept calling me and saying, when are you going to tow the iceberg? And about a week before April Fool's Day, one of my staff, Jerry Nolan, said, Dick, why don't we bring a fake iceberg in for April Fool's Day? And that's what we did. We had a huge barge covered in plastic and firefighting foam and we towed it through the heads on April Fool's Day and it was fantastic. <laughs> hey, Dick, how do you reckon who would go if you wanted to introduce the Dixicles now, um, uh, sort of uh, given, you know, how politically correct we've become these days? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Probably wouldn't be. Luckily, in those days, we weren't so politically correct. We can even laugh at Paul Hogan. Didn't matter who he was having a bit of fun about. Yeah. yeah. Hey, is it folklore? Is it is it myth that uh, that when that whole sort of Dick Smith food thing happened, that uh, that you actually uh, did a version of the the Redheads matches, your own version of those? Yes, I did. In fact, I'm just looking at a pack now that we call them Dickheads, <laughs> and then. On the back, we said you'd have to be complete dickheads to sell all of our famous brands like Arnott's and Aeroplane Jelly to overseas companies so the wealth goes overseas and doesn't stay in Australia to help our kids and grandkids. Yeah, yeah we're not doing a very good job at uh, looking after our own businesses at the moment in Australia, are we, Dick? 
No, look, it's what we call globalism, and I think it's gone a bit too far. We've all benefited from globalism, and uh, you know you can buy every Australian family has about two or three TV sets these days. But the disadvantage is that all of the money's in the northern hemisphere, and in the end, all of the good businesses will be sold to multinationals who reside in the northern hemisphere, and that all that means all the profits go there. Yeah. yeah, Dick. We were talking before we uh, we got you online about what happened with you back in the in the early days of your business when when uh, an American based company came over and uh, and pretty much that's when uh, that's when all this sort of started, wasn't it? When Tandy made a, an enormous attack on on your business. Yeah, look, that's really interesting. Tandy was Radio Shack in America and had hundreds and hundreds of stores, and it decided to come to Australia. But what got me mad was the. Chief Executive Dean Lawrence said, look, we're going to front load for three years. And I thought, front load, what does that mean? Then I found out it meant they were going to operate at a loss for three years, obviously to wipe us out of business. Then they'd put all the prices up. And uh, I objected to that. We even had all of our Dick Smith staff demonstrating outside the Tandy shop in York Street. And uh, the police arrived with their black Mariahs. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, did 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 the message get through to the Australian government back in those days? Because you know we've we've seen it uh, happen uh, time after time after time. No, it really hasn't. Look, our growth for the last twenty years has basically come from huge immigration levels and selling off our businesses to big overseas companies. I don't know what we can do about it. Naturally, if you are, let's say you're a private business owner and the Chinese or the Americans come and offer you double the money for your business, naturally you're going to sell to them. And But the problem, as I've said, is that all the money goes overseas. You're one of the few people I've heard talk about um, overpopulation, Dick, and um, I really like your thoughts on this subject. And you believe that Australia's getting overpopulated? Well, yes. I've never been into population control and our birth rate is a, puts us about level. The reason we've got such an incredibly increasing population is that we've got a tremendous amount of immigrants coming in, about 200,000 a year. I'm pro-immigration. I thought it should be about 70,000. That would be the best way to do it. Yeah. And that would stabilise our population. It just seems to me that, um, like, I think Melbourne's got four and a half million in it now. And as, as we get more populated, the, the quality of life seems to decrease a little bit, even if just in forms of traffic and, um, you know, delays. You're absolutely right. Look, uh, Melbourne and Sydney are going to go to 10 million. This is the madness, and you can hardly drive now. And our kids and our battery kids are all living in high-rise like termites. And uh, the old day when you can have a house with a backyard, that's gone. And every generation should be better off than the, the previous generation, not worse off, in my view. Dick, uh, COVID-19 has, has had enormous effects on, on, on every strata of life, no matter if no one's been escaped from it. Do you see it as an opportunity for Australia to reset a whole lot of things about both uh, the way we live and uh, and our commercial life as well and our business life? Yes, it definitely is. This gives us a chance to start making things again and uh, to start one of the main things. I'm asking all my fellow Australians to have a holiday in Australia. I've got friends of mine who they go overseas to Fiji and Bali, but they've never been to Tasmania. And Anyone who's listening, look, this is a fantastic country. I've been to over 100 countries in the world and nothing is as good as Australia and the incredible scenery. Up around the Kimberleys is fantastic. Southwest Tasmania is wonderful. Cradle Mountain in Tasmania is oh, wonderful. Yes. Kangaroo Island is fantastic. So we should be having the holidays here and keeping the money in Australia. What else do you see as uh, things that we can take out of COVID-19 and the effect that it's had that uh, obviously manufacturing's a, a, a big one as well? 
yes, definitely we can start manufacturing again. It was interesting. I was doing a segment for Current Affair and they'd gone to a Target and bought all these or came out of someone and bought all these products and they were made out of wood. They were shelving and a kit, shelving kit. But the wood probably came from Australia in the first place and the amount of labour in China where they're made wouldn't be very great and then they're shipped all the way there and all the way back and that's the type of thing that small businesses could set up and make and compete with. Hey, Dick, what, what motivated you to, to do all the all the aviation things you did? You obviously had a, a, an interest in, in flying uh, at an early age, but when did that kind of escalate to the point where you jump in a, a helicopter and fly around the world on your own? Yeah, well, look, I never thought I'd be a pilot. When I was young, I was pretty dumb at school and hopeless, and I used to see the, the vampire jets of the Air Force go overhead and was beyond comprehension that I'd ever be able to learn to fly. But when I started to do well with Dick Smith Electronics, make some money, I would go out very early in the morning to Bankstown, and it was $24 an hour to learn to fly, and I got my license, and then when I started making lots of money, I bought a twin Comanche, and then I bought a helicopter, and I loved it. It's the I call it the best off-road vehicle in the world, or the magic carpet. Uh-huh. And one day I thought, look, you could fly a helicopter from America where they build them in the factory across the northern Atlantic going from Greenland to Iceland and then get to Australia. And I thought that'd be a great challenge. And then someone said to me, oh, if you're going to go that far, why don't you go right around the world? And no one had ever done that. And so that was my ambition. And I set off very naively and scared the hell out of myself most of the way. I was very frightened. But I eventually got around the world. You also took... Um a helicopter to the Atlantic. That was the first time a helicopter had gone down there. Is that right? Yes, definitely. And uh, I've got to the North Pole, the first helicopter to the North Pole. The reason the Canadians who are close to the North Pole have never been there by helicopter is they just couldn't believe anyone would be that crazy. The Canadians go south for their holidays. They don't go north. Right. So you wouldn't want to come down uh, in the North Pole or in the water there. It would be... Not good. Huh. Well, it will be it will be water soon. At the moment, it's it's when I went in April, uh, it was frozen ice about a metre thick, and so I was able to actually land at the North Pole and float around there on the ice. And when I was coming back from my second attempt, I got forced down. I, luckily, I had my tent and sleeping bag, and I'm about three a.m. in the morning. The ice starts to break up, and I managed to throw the tent, sleeping bag back into the helicopter and get airborne and flying at about 50 feet over the pressure ridges, I got back to a little island called Ward Hunt and found a little abandoned cabin where I was able to sleep the night. Wow. How um, how hairy did those moments get? I mean, how close did you come to sort of, you know, not being with us? Well, there were a number of times. I've been very lucky. I've had nine out of my ten lives <laughs> if I was a pussycat. Yeah. But um, probably the most frightening was to fly around the world In those days, the Cold War existed and you couldn't land in Russia. So I came up with this idea of landing on a ship to refuel. The ship was going to be in the northern Pacific, halfway between Japan and Alaska. And that was all okay. And I put the three drums of fuel on the ship. It was heading across to Seattle. And when I took off from Japan, I was about halfway to the ship and then the ship reported it was in fog and I couldn't land and I didn't have enough fuel to get back to Japan. But above the clouds, I could see some volcanoes in Russia. And I thought, well, I'll head that way. And I started to head towards Russia and uh, with the risk of being shot down because I couldn't get any approvals. And then fortunately, the captain of the ship called me back and said, look, we're just slowing down. We're coming into some fog-free area. Do you want to give it a go? And of course I did. I turned right and headed out and 
maps the days before GPS, so I had great difficulty in navigating, but finally saw the ship, a little dot way ahead, landed on it, refuelled and went on to Alaska. Wow. Uh, and you weren't one who had a lot of, I was going to say, the GPS would have been a luxury for you because you, you did a lot of almost flying by the seat of your pants. Oh, yes. In those days, there was no GPS. Yes, I've done five flights around the world and the first three were with, without GPS. And the, to fly to the uh, ship, I had a beacon that a friend of mine had built up, a non-directional beacon, and I had another friend on the ship who'd got on at Yokohama in Japan and he'd dangled the aerial over one of the cranes and turned on the beacon and I was able to home in on the beacon (laughs) because there was no other way of knowing where the ship was because there was no GPS. Uh, now, Dick, doesn't at some stage Pip kind of tap you on the shoulder and say, you know, <laughs> yeah. you're, a, you're a grown man, don't be, just stop being such a bloody idiot? Yeah, that's why I stopped after five flights around the world and then <laughs> I talked my wife Pip into driving around the world and so we bought a, a big F, Ford F550 pickup truck with a camper van on the back and we drove right across America, right across Europe, right across Russia, across Japan and then across Australia and back to Denver where we started. Wow. <laughs> and it'd make a great, uh, a great miniseries, your life, Dick. Who would, you, who, would you get, who would you want to play you? Ah, look, I've got no idea. Someone really handsome and um, good-looking. <laughs> now, Dick. That's probably be someone like that. would be best. <laughs> Chris Hamsworth. We'll get him the job. <laughs> hey, you mentioned you're writing your autobiography. Is that, has that been um, an experience where you've, you've kind of uh, revisited some of these moments that you've had in your life? Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's been very exciting. It won't be coming out until next year, but um, it's, it tells the story of how this no hope at school with $610 can make a lot of money and then have the freedom to go adventuring. And one of my great advantages, I can say it how it is and I can speak up on things that other people might be scared about talking about. And so that's a great position to be in. Dick, we all have turning points in our life. When we look back, when we get to, you know, the, the older part of the, the, the second part of our life, when we look back on things that happened to us, was, was um, in your youth when you're at school and struggling at school, obviously, was, was there pivotal moments in there with, you know, the Scouts and the Rovers and all those sort of organisations that, that kind of were, were set you on the path that you finished up on? Yeah, definitely. I think my life was affected tremendously by the Boy Scouts you mentioned. At eight years of age, I became a cub and I went right through to Rovers at 23 and it taught me leadership and responsible risk-taking. So I owe my ability to start three businesses. I've had, of course, Dixmith Electronics, then I had Australian Geographic and then I've had Dixmith Foods and all of them were because I learned all about leadership in the Boy Scouts and the amazing thing, it was all free. All the scout masters who were le- teaching me leadership were completely free and that was a wonderful thing. Wow. Now, I've got to ask you because Brian, obviously, is, uh, his career has been in the music industry. What sort of music does Dick Smith listen to? What do, You know, when, you, when you're in the car driving around the world, not just down to the shops like the rest of us do, <laughs> what do you listen to? What, what music has, has been part of your life, Dick? Uh, I like, I like uh, John Williamson and Slim Duff. They're my favourites and I've got a tape which plays in the helicopter and it's got all of my favourite. The typical Australian songs, I'm in the 50s and 60s, my daughters tell me and that's probably right. I love the old Top 40 when we, when I was young. It was in the air and you could actually understand what the singers were saying. That was fantastic in, that was fantastic in those days. Yeah. yeah, these days it's uh, pretty hard to um, understand what anybody's saying and yet alone what they're talking about or what their point is. Um, yep. Yeah. So you've got a film company too where you've made a few films. Um, 
Well, well, I've made I've made films on my flights around the world, and uh, that's on. If anyone's interested, if you just key Dick Smith Adventure into Google, yep. it will come up with a site where all my adventure documentaries are. But you're right. I then made two major hour-long documentaries for the ABC, one on population and my concerns about Australia being on its way to 100 million, which was just too many. And then the other one I made was on energy. And yes, I do believe that we're affecting the climate. And my view is quite controversial. I think we'll have to end up going to nuclear to get that base power. I, I love renewables, but they're intermittent and there's no way of storing that energy cheaply. And so I think in the end we'll be forced into nuclear. I have no fears of that. I've been to France, which is 70% nuclear power, and they don't even talk about it. It's a complete non-issue. It's a, it's a, it's kind of the elephant in the room, isn't it? Here though, and and in most Western countries now, it's it's it scares the hell out of people. Exactly right, but it's completely false. Uh, the most dangerous form of power generation is hydroelectric. A dam has uh, crashed in in China, killing over twenty thousand people. Oh, wow. And dams fail everywhere from time to time, and you kill lots of people. So that's everyone talks about how hydroelectricity is renewable and how wonderful it is. Well, yes, but it's got a lot of risk. The safest form of power generation is definitely nuclear. And despite uh, the Chernobyl and uh, Fukushima, it's still incredibly safe. In fact, my suggestion is you don't get the old Soviet Union to build your nuclear power station and you don't put it on a, a earthquake zone and you'll be pretty safe. <laughs> hey, I want to ask you, what was it like flying over the top of Mount Everest? Well, that was incredible. I got the second approval ever to fly over Everest. I bought myself a little business jet, a Citation, and learned to fly at single pilot. So I flew it all the way to Kathmandu and then right on first light in the morning, took off and flew to Mount Everest. It's only about 30 minutes flight time from Kathmandu. And then I flew around the summit. And what was exciting, I could see these footsteps in the in the snow going to the very top. And we found out the next day that the Spanish, the day before, had climbed Everest, and that was their oh. footprints in the snow. That's how close we were. Wasn't the Yeti, was it, uh, was it Dick? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, look, I'm patron of the Australian sceptics, and I don't think there's any evidence for UFOs or for Yeti. What about the Loch Ness Monster? Oh, that's a definitely, yeah, that's definitely there. I've, in fact, I've seen it when I flew around the world. I flew down Loch Ness and I saw a number of those monsters. I just didn't bother to tell anyone because everyone knows about them. <laughs> what, 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 haven't you, what haven't you done that you want to do? Oh, well, I, I thought of doing a flight around the world remaining totally in the southern hemisphere, not crossing the equator. That's quite hard because you've got to fly across the Pacific and huge distances to Easter Island and to South America. But uh, that would be something I'd like to do. I always wanted to go to Timbuktu, but I did that in my fifth flight around the world and went to Timbuktu in Africa, in Mali. Um, otherwise, I wouldn't mind going to the moon, but I'm probably a bit old, old for that. Moon. The moon. Wow. How come you didn't put yep. your hand up earlier for that? Because there wasn't there one stage there was, all, or is that in the skeptics' um, uh, handbook? Uh, there was all sorts of people uh, uh, sprouting that they were going to organise trips to the moon. Well, Elon Musk reckons he's going to do that, but I think That's it's right. probably going to cost a million dollars a ticket, and I wouldn't spend a million dollars on that. I'd rather donate it to a good cause. Um, you, you're in the skeptics group, uh, Dick. What about the, the man landing on the moon? Do we believe that, or is that a bit dodgy? Oh, no, I have absolutely no doubt that man has landed on the moon and uh, that really happened. Good. Also, I have no doubt that September the 11th was done by uh, terrorists who flew the planes into the building, not 
as some people reckon it was all pre-planned with explosives set on the buildings by the Americans. That's ridiculous. Australian of the Year, uh, Australian Father of the Year, Australian Aviation Hall of Fame, uh, in 1997 uh, named as an Australian Living Treasure. What title don't you have that you'd like? Would you have liked a knighthood if they were still handing those out, Dick? No, no, I wouldn't want a knighthood, definitely. If they were handing them out, I wouldn't take one. I just want to be Dick Smith, and I'm very happy with that. Look, I'm a pretty normal person. My friends are the same as I had as a kid in the Scouts, and uh, nothing much has changed in my life. Is there stuff that uh, in doing the autobiography that you've kind of gone, no, I won't go there, I'll let that go? Or is, is it a no-holes-barred uh, by today's standards uh, autobiography? Well, it's interesting. Peter Fitzsimons, who's one of our best book writers, he said to me, oh, Dick, you've got to put the bad things in as well as the good. And uh, my problem is that I haven't had that many bad things. The worst thing I could put in my book was when I'd started Dick Smith Electronics in the very early days, I had $18,000 of stock stolen. And the advice from my accountants was to liquidate and close the business down. Luckily, I didn't. I fought on and paid back every cent of all the debt and then ended up being the business I sold to Woolworths for over $20 million. Yeah. Wow. Gee whiz. Um, has there been sliding door moments where you've you know, had an opportunity to do something and decided not to do it? Because you've always been someone who's been brave enough to do things and try things. Is there is there any one moment you can think of when you went, oh, I should have done that? Yeah, definitely. It's It doesn't sound the most serious thing, but I was an idiot. I always wanted to go on the GAN, the old GAN train went from Marie to Alice Springs. And uh, I had the chance to go on the very last train trip. It now doesn't go on that route at all. And I, I decided, oh, no, I won't do it. And I've regretted that for the rest of my life. I would have loved to have gone in the narrow gauge diesel chugging across the south of the Simpson Desert and into the Fink River. It'd be fantastic. What's your favourite part of Australia? If, you, if you're going to pick a place in Australia to go to, where would you pick? My favourite part, I mean, I should mention Lord Howe Island is a magnificent place. You're not a real Australian until you've been there. But my favourite part is Cooper's Creek, where at Inaminka, where Cooper's Creek goes from Queensland into South Australia. There's a waterhole called Cullumurra Waterhole, and it's got beautiful river red gums. There's corellas in the trees, and it's one of the best places you can camp. And so I will say to people, the best place in the world is Cullumurra Waterhole on Cooper's Creek. All right. So you're city slicker or your country boy at heart? Look, I live like most Australians in a city clinging to the coast, but I identify with the bush like most Aussies, and I love the outback more than anything else. Any chance I get, I go outback, and I've been right around Australia in the helicopter. I've been right across it. I've driven. I've driven from the east, from the west coast to the east, and last year I drove to Cape York and back, and so I've done it not only by air, I've also done it on the ground. Yeah, no, it's an amazing life. Look forward to the book, Dick. Have you got a title? Uh, and the moment I'm, the working title is Fun Way to a Fortune because what with jumping double-decker buses and tying icebergs into Sydney Harbour, <laughs> I had a lot of fun as I was making a few dollars. Hey, was there, is it folklore or is it myth again? And there's a lot of that about you. Um, was there a third person in that bus that shouldn't have been in that bus when it went over the motorcycle? There was Hans Tholstrup, I think, was driving it, wasn't he, with you? Yeah, Hans was driving it. I was the bus conductor standing on the rear platform, and my plan was to jump off before it went up the ramp. But Hans was driving it so fast that I 
I wasn't game to jump off, so I had to go right over and part of the crash. No, there certainly wasn't a third person. They would have been badly injured, I reckon. Okay. I had a couple of ma- I had a couple of mattresses mounted on the rear step of the bus, and so I could crash into those. <laughs> did, did Did you clear the motorbikes, or just land on top of them? We We cleared. I think there was 16 motorbikes and we cleared 15 of them and just t- touched the very last motorbike. <laughs> oh, goodness me. OH&S these days, you wouldn't be allowed near that, I would imagine. Exactly right. No, <laughs> you. I mean, luckily in those days you just did things and uh, we today the authority at the motor show would be saying, oh, no, we have to get approval. You can't do that. <laughs> yeah, no. The, 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 uh, simpler times and in many ways better times, but uh, we, 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 it is what it is these days. Dick, we uh, we really appreciate your time. We really thank you for spending yeah, some time you. with us. Uh, it's been a, it's been a wonderful life so far, and there's, and there's many more years to come. Well, thanks, Kevin and Brian. Great interview, and yes, I've still got a few years left, and maybe do a few more adventures. Dick Smith, what a great Australian! You're right, Brian. He is an absolute beauty. Um, yeah. <laughs> and anyone who comes up with matches called dickheads, I'm sorry, he's, he's ticked every box for me. And um, you've got you've got a lot of guts too. All that stuff without GPS flying around the world, crikey! How dangerous yeah. would that be? Yeah, no, I'm with you. They're very hairy, some very hairy situations he's got himself into over the years, as you have when we do this segment that we're about to do on the life of Brian. With thanks to our very good friends at Mercots, that's mercots.edu.au. It of course is. What are they trying to prove, Brian? Well, I'll tell you. I'm confused again this week. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been watching uh, bits and pieces of MasterChef. Oh, me too. Uh, and uh, especially the previews and stuff. But um, I've been watching bits and pieces of it. But I was stunned watching a, a preview of th- what was coming up on the show about a week ago or a couple of days ago. I can't remember. Every day is the same. <laughs> but <laughs> And I believe that uh, Melissa Leong is doing one hell of a job. So good for her. However, I saw her in a promo and the food had arrived and she said, these are tears of joy. So she was crying because the food was so good. Now, I don't know about you, Kev, but, you know, have you ever got misty over a meat pie or (laughs) sobbed over a sausage, cried over a casserole? No. Crying is not something that food generates. It's either yummy, it's, oh, that's awful, it's, ew, it's, ah, yes, but not, oh, God, it's so good, I'm just going to burst into tears. Uh, What's she going to do next? Say, look, this dish was so good that now I'm as horny as hell. You know, you don't feel horny over food, you don't cry over food, not even over spilt milk. There's no crying over spilt milk, so Melissa Leong, what the hell are you trying to prove? No, very fair point, Brian. I uh, I concur with you. Uh, could you imagine if you're in, uh, you know, Adrian Richardson or uh, or Heston Blumenfeld's restaurant, and you know, came up at the end of the meal and said, "So, Mr. Mannix, um, what did you think of that?" <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think they'd be upset if you did that. Uh, I'm, I'm sure they'd. Well, they'd be looking for a place to hide, wouldn't they? Because if you've got a if you've got a diner there sobbing, the rest of the people in the audience, <laughs> uh, in, in the in the restaurant are not thinking that you're having a great time. You've had a really good meal. Well, imagine you you taking a fiance there to ask her to, <laughs> to marry you, and then just sitting behind you, someone just bawling their eyes out <laughs> because the food's so good. You know. <laughs> wouldn't be very romantic. Yeah, pointing at the, at the plate going, this is so good. You're going, yeah, 
Yeah, right, of course it is. Yeah, I saw I've never that. had scrambled eggs this good before. <laughs> <laughs> oh, crikey. Uh, uh, goodness anyway. me. All right, well, that's a, a very a valid whack there for uh, for Melissa. Okay. Must admit, though, I am enjoying MasterChef. It's a very good watch and it's, uh, it, it's, oh, been, it's the, been a really good series. Some of the dishes they're cooking, Kev, are making Ooh. me so horny. Oh, I mean it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness me. Well, we're happy to say that uh, Brian Mannix has is, uh, is got a new a new release in the market for everyone to take advantage of, and we thought that it, it just deserved um, something fitting uh, as an intro, not just for me to do it, but I think we, we, need, mm-hmm. to, we need to pull out the big guns here to bring, uh, to bring this uh, oh, its right. rightful right. place in the music uh, echelon as it sits right now, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, so uh, without any further ado, here it is. <laughs> Hey Groovers, it's party time. Introducing the smash hit album Hit Me by the Androids, featuring that rock and roll sex machine god of the 80s. No, 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 Molly, no, not not you this time. You are in your 80s. No, it's Brian Mannix as alive as he gets in the Countdown Isolation Studio. Brian, stop drinking the hand sanitizer. You're on. Let's get ready to rock and roll and rebel yell. From Gavin Wood, good night, Australia.
Mr. Mannix. Woo-hoo. Brand new, yeah. It's a song about 35 years old, but it's a brand new single. <laughs> what are, were you a Billy Idol fan? Yeah, I was. I uh, still am. Um, you know, he's he's rocking. And, um, you know, when everybody else were in Spandu Ballow were running around in their suits now, and stuff, you know, he had the leathers on and the buckles and the skulls and the crosses and the earrings and the spiky hair. And, yep. yeah, he looked like a rock star. Yeah, and I must admit, his performance in The Wedding Singer was terrific. Yeah. And, you know, as you've got Phil Collins, he looks like you're supposed to drop your books off for him to do your tax when you see him. <laughs> yeah, you'd never be mistaken for doing that with Billy, would you? No, he doesn't look like an accountant at all. No, no, I, I dare say not. And, and the, the guitar play that uh, used to hang around him, they were like they were like kind of the chalk and cheese, weren't they? Because Billy had, as you mentioned, the, the spiky white hair and all that, and then uh, was it Steve Stevens? Steve Stevens, yes. Had the, had the black hair and looked like he should have been a member of Spandau Ballet. Well, he had the leathers, though. Um, yeah, true. I remember, I remember having a drink with him and Molly at um, BB's in Queen Street, the Ooh. first venue that used to stay open till 6 o'clock in the morning every second Friday, I think it was. Right. And after the Rock Awards, we were all getting drunk there at about 5 in the morning and then Steve Stevens and Molly came and sat down with us and we had a little chat and a beer with Steve Stevens, which was pretty cool. Wish Billy had to come. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Well, yeah. the, I know, I know uh, our good friend Gavin Wood, who who did the introduction for uh, for Rebel Yell there uh, Thank in, you, Gavin. in Countdown style. Uh, Gavin tells a few stories about Billy uh, in his uh, in a couple of his sojourns here in Australia. Oh yes, Billy had a very good time while he was in Australia, and I think believe Steve Stevens did too. Might have even had a better time while he was in Australia. I think they uh, they had a little uh, they had a little chorus line going on uh, backstage at uh, every venue that they that they frequented. Yeah, um, Neil Bradbury, who used to manage the uh, Kids in the Kitchen, yeah. he ended up being uh, Billy Idol's personal manager. And that was quite a job, just to keep <laughs> Billy in some form of shape, because he'd get out of bed and start drinking, yep. get his hair with seven up, he'd tip lemonade in it, and that would make it stick up, which would be no good here, because there'd be flies all over the joint. Yep. But, uh, and then he'd, yeah, he'd 
just was pretty debauched, young <laughs> Billy, and that's why we love him. Oh, fair enough, as you would be. Uh, the uh, the Life of Brian uh, Manic Studies podcast brought to you, of course, by Murcotts Driving Excellence. Uh, you can uh, you give them a call. They're an Australia-wide company, as we mentioned. They are ticking all the boxes with the protocols in uh, in Victoria during the lockdown. Uh, but if you want to be, you know, a safer driver, a smarter driver, you'd probably even be a better-looking driver, I reckon, if you did the Murcotts courses. Murcotts.edu.au, that's the website. Give them a call on one three hundred triple five five seven six that's the number now brian as we we like to do on this podcast we're going to finish with a story okie dokie a little story from your soon to be released audio book and there is a book book there's a book book you can read it in the tuk tuk (laughs) (laughs) if you're in thailand you can read it in the tuk tuk (laughs) so what little uh, book book where are we going? Where are we going? It's trip in USA. So you you, you well, went across okay. America. Did you do? Did you you did uh, East and West Coast, didn't you? Yes, I went to yeah LA and New York, and, and, and then you went you went down yeah. south as well. Went hell yeah, went down south, y'all, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and that's where we're going to go today. We'll um, we'll go and go to Elvis's house today and ooh, uh, ooh. check out Elvis's joint. They load us up in a bus that holds about twenty people. We then drive across the road to Graceland. Personally, I think it would have been more convenient to walk. We pull up at the side of Elvis's house and are handed Walkman-like units with headphones. These things will give us commentary of what we are seeing. Before we can enter the house, we have to watch a movie first but we can't get into the theatre yet because there is another group ahead of us. We wait about 10 minutes and in we go. Then the movie starts. Naturally, it features highlights of Elvis's career. Don, you lied when you said no. Cos I've been talking to the daddy-o. He showed me a, a trick or two. I want to try him out on you. However, some fuckwit has decided that Elvis's songs need a bit of an update. I love the way you twist your butt. I wanna squeeze your coconut Pineapple will not do. My banana's just for you. I wanna twist and shout and screw. For some reason, this dickhead decided to put a heavy metal guitar riff over all the songs. I wanna twist and shout and screw. Can you help me, man? I'm fishing for a claim. I wanna twist and shout and screw. Oh, I'm a humpy, funky monkey. Oh, I'm to do the hokey pokey. What's going on with me? We're coming over you. We're gonna twist and shout and screw. They even have to slow down Burning Love so that it fits the stupid guitar riff. I am appalled. This is nothing short of musical vandalism. How could anyone think this was a good idea? Oh, I'm a humpy, funky monkey. I'm also wondering what is wrong with these other Elvis fans. Can't they hear this awful guitar riff? Don't they notice that the songs they love have been fucked up? 
it's not a great start. The bus was stupid and the movie should be burned and never shown again. All right, the uh, Graceland's Brian Mannix. What could what could possibly go wrong with Brian Mannix in Graceland? Elvis Presley fan, and you know Sun Studios around the corner. What a what an adventure! Well, there it was. Coming yeah. soon, hopefully. Uh, the, yeah, uh, get your hands on the uh, on the audio book. Yeah, as well book as the book book. book. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, Brian, as always, uh, had a lovely time having a chat. We have a female guest on our next edition oh, of Life of Brian. A beauty. She's a ripper. Yeah, she, she is a ripper. And uh, we'll tell you all about her and uh, and uh, get her story uh, with Brian and without Brian um, on uh, the next edition of the Life of Brian podcast. With uh, Thanks, of course, to mercots.edu.au. Give them a call on 1300 555 Stay locked up, stay well and stay safe, Brian. Okay, I'll say strapped down and uh, <laughs> <laughs> just do my best. Um, thanks, Kev. It's been great.